CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. We're glad you've joined us with so many things going on in the world right now. Boy, it is good to know that your name is written in the book of life. Friends, if it is not, if you've never asked Christ as your Savior, today's the day. You know, don't put off tomorrow, which you can do today. We may not be around tomorrow. You know, when you see all the things going on and you look at everything in a big in the big theater, you have Russia threatening the United States a couple of weeks ago with his Satan II missiles, saying it would bring total annihilation. You have the situation in the Middle East. You say, well, how does that affect me? I think much in every way. They're already telling us right now, get ready for skyrocketing oil prices at the pump, gasoline prices, because of the unsurety of what's going on in the Middle East. Then we see all the other things going on. We have uh, North Korea saying we're not opposed to a first strike against America. And you look at all these things combined with Russia's threats, China's threats. Friends, listen, we are in the day of today. That means never put off tomorrow what you can do today. And again, as the Bible says, today is the appointed day of salvation. So if you've been reading your Bible, come across something you don't understand, looking for answers for your friends, hey, call us, 8888-ASK-CSN. We'll do our very best to give you what the Bible really says on that topic, not just a piece of a verse or a phrase, but really, what does the Bible say about that? Call us. Again, 8888-ASK-CSN. Joining me today's special guest, featured CSN speaker, comes on in the weekend times, a word for the church, with Scott Parker from Calvary Chapel, Festus, St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, welcome. Hello, Mike. And I am so blessed to be with you here on a Tuesday, two yeah. days in a row. This yeah. is awesome. So thanks for having me. Yeah, hold on to your car keys because, man, I'll tell you, things are crazy right now. I <laughs> I look are. at this as, as something that is, is really pretty amazing. You know, <clears throat> people are asking, is what we're seeing in the Middle East right now, is that the Ezekiel 38-39 war? As it stands right now, I would say no. However, I will say this, that if America pulls out of the support of Israel, Iran, Russia, and then the other Arab countries make their move on all fronts on Israel, it very much could be and probably is. Now, we know Biden is going to Israel tomorrow. He just boarded the plane, uh, Air Force One, to get to, to Israel This is pretty unusual for a president of the United States to go into a declared war zone. In fact, I don't know that it's ever happened before. And so this is really unusual. Now, if Biden's going there to talk to Netanyahu saying, we've got your back, or if he's saying, if you go into Gaza, we will abandon you. Uh, This is what we're going to probably find out in the next 24, 48 hours. And so we're going to find some interesting things. And if Netanyahu says, whether you support us or not, America, we have to go clean house. Uh, United States pulls back. Iran then makes its move, accompanied with Russia, that has already said they will support Iran. 
And so I believe you would have the scenario then lining up. A little too early to tell right now, but, um, you know, Scott, we're living in exciting times. We are, Mike, and it's, it's you know, on one hand, as we said yesterday, on one hand, you know, it's it's a bit frightening, especially if you don't know the Lord. But on the other hand, it's exciting because the Bible told us ahead of time what was going to happen, and we see these things happening. And so what did Jesus tell us? He says, look up, because your redemption draws nigh. And uh, so, you know, for the world, it is a scary time. Uh, but for believers, it's a preparing time. It's 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 time for us to make sure our hearts are right, that we're busy about the Lord's work, doing what he has called us to do with what he's given us to do. And as we look and see everything that's going on in the world, just like you said, um, you know, we, we see uh, different players that are involved in that uh, war in Ezekiel 38. We, we see them, uh, if not up front, we see them behind the scenes, like with Iran, uh, you know, supporting Hamas and then Russia supporting Iran. I mean, it's all there. And, and, you know, as things go in the world now and as things go, especially in the Middle East, everything can turn on a dime. I mean, things could turn so quick and we could be right in the middle of it. But, you know, Mike, I, I, as I do study the Bible, the more I, I do kind of see. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, Bible teachers are split on this. Will, will this war happen before or after the rapture? It's not clear. I tend to think it's going to happen after the rapture. And if that's the case and we see these things happening over there, the way they're happening with whom they're happening with – that just tells me the rapture is close. The Lord is coming very soon, and we need to be ready. You know, uh, again, we know this Ezekiel thirty-eight, thirty-nine war comes before the tribulation. Yes. But if it comes before or after the rapture, that's another question, because the rapture mm-hmm. of the church does not start the tribulation period. This right. is a, a kind of a thought that had circulated, but if you really look at what the Bible says— It starts with a treaty with Israel. And I believe the treaty is over the Temple Mount. The temple was such a key part of the Jewish faith for thousands of years. I mean, when you really look uh, from the time of King David, uh, uh, even into the time of of Jesus, uh, when you you realize, you know, in Matthew chapter 24, what's really interesting, uh, we studied that on Sunday morning, but... What's really interesting is it says, and Jesus left the temple. He was tired of chiding with the Pharisees. Um, We remember that he cleared the the temple of the money changers. And when it says he left the temple, that was the last time he ever went into the temple. Um, I believe the next time he goes into the temple will be during the millennial reign of Christ. But when he left the temple... And this is when he said, and they were saying, look at how beautiful this building is. And Jesus said, I tell you, not one stone's going to be left upon another. They'll all be thrown down. And exactly what Jesus said happened in 70 AD when Titus came in. Uh, Titus, from what we understand, uh, several different scholars, especially some of those from uh, Calvary Chapel, if you uh, look at the studies of David Gusick, uh, there at blueletterbible.org on Matthew chapter 24. Titus did not want to destroy the temple because of its of its absolute beauty. Uh, Romans weren't stupid. They, they didn't like to uh, just waste things for wasting them. Um, 
It was about the last thing that would fall. And so when Jesus said, when you see the abomination, which makes desolate, you know, run for the hills, all these things, Israel was already, Jerusalem was already destroyed by that time. Uh, Anybody that tries to tie that to replacement theology and everything happened in 70 AD really needs to do some study because you'll find that Jerusalem was done. It was, it was all over with. Um, the temple was the last thing to go when a Roman soldier burned it to the ground, uh, got it on fire. So understanding that, um, I, I think we're in some really, really unusual times. Again, as I said earlier, today's the appointed day of salvation to be about your father's business. So important in the days we're in. Well, let's go ahead and go to the phones. We have Rhonda on the line in Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hi, Pastor Mike. Hi. Hi. So I want to be doing about the father's business, and part of that is my struggle with Halloween and having two little girls. Hmm. I want to raise up my kids to the best of my ability in uh, following the Lord. They love the Lord. They've accepted the Lord in their life. They've been baptized, and we have been celebrating Halloween for their whole life and mine, and I'm 44. But over the last couple of years, I've been feeling little convictions by Holy Spirit to look at this a little different. Um, As the times end near, we have to have clean hearts. And I don't want to be the one that gets turned away for not knowing my God. And I'm just feeling like it's time to look at it for what it is and not for what the world has softened it up to be. And God says, do not go about with the spirit of fear. And Halloween is all, all about fear and scary and gore and terror and not to mention its history. And so I'm just wondering, you know, your thoughts of how to navigate this, you know, is, is it being legalistic? Is it religiosity or is it being obedient to the Lord's calling? And I need to tell my kids, Hey, not this, we're not going to be doing that anymore, but we can love on the people that come to our door and tell them about Jesus. I believe Rhonda, that's an individual call. Um, I certainly wouldn't condemn somebody if they did. Now, let me just say this. I, I do have a lot of trouble with Halloween in general because of, as you said, not only its historical roots, but that it's, a, 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 it's based in fear. However, I will say this. Having been raised in a Christian home, having uh, uh, parents that I think were, were really well-balanced in the Lord, they let us go trick-or-treating. They let us do those things. And here's one of the reasons why. And I actually asked my mom, why did you let us do that? And she said, well, she said, you know, when you're little, you don't understand all these things. All you know is when you went to church, when you went to school the next day, and the kids were all talking about their big sack of candy that they got, and you got nothing. And people go, hey, well, why don't you come to church with me next Sunday? Uh, no, you, that, that doesn't, you don't get any candy, you don't get nothing. I believe that you have to use wisdom in this. That as a person gets older, you, you realize for what it is. Um, and certainly there's a lot of alternatives. We provide one here at our church uh, on the Saturday before Halloween. And kids are going to show up probably in costumes and stuff. I don't care about that. Not real big on devil costumes and demon costumes and dead-looking people. But when they show up, that tells me probably they need Jesus more than anybody else. So by their costumes, you will know them. 
Well, this is one of the things that I find if you see people that are obviously uh, outside to just go up and, and invite them to church on Sunday. Now, if your kids dress up and you take them to, uh, and I'm sure there's many church uh, events, um, uh, you know, alternatives for your girls, um, they still uh, got to wear a costume. Uh, they still got candy. Um but they didn't have to go out in the world of death and fear and those things. So I think there's a balance. There, there is a, a, a place where um, we can still enjoy a harvest festival. Um, we don't have to uh, get into the, you know, the, all the, the evil things about it. But I look at it as an opportunity to reach out to a community that needs Jesus. They may not come to a church on a Sunday morning, but they'll bring their kids to an event where their kids will have a good time in which then we can put a, a, a Bible track in their, in their candy sack. We can talk to the parents, invite them to church. And we have people that actually come to church here because they actually, their first exposure to church and to us as a fellowship was, was this festive alternative that we put on. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think we need to be careful that we don't cause our kids to say, yeah, when I was a kid, our parents never let us, they were, they were Christians or something, and, and we never got to have any fun. Uh, everybody else was, see, you got you to gotta remember their perspective too, Rhonda, and I think that's what you have to take into account. Your thoughts? Yeah, Mike, I totally agree with you on that. You know, I, I think just the basic idea of trick-or-treating um, a, a child dressing up in a costume for fun and getting candy. I don't see any harm in that. Um, it, it's, it's as long as the parents know and the children understand that they're not worshiping the devil. You know, I, I think that the, the pagan ideas behind Halloween and worshiping Satan go far deeper than that. Um, so I, I totally agree with you there, Mike. You know, a friend of mine here uh, just recently on Facebook posted something that I thought was pretty good, honestly. And he wrote this. He said, hey, he said, my daughter dressing up as a princess, going door to door and getting candy on trick or treat makes it doesn't make her a Satan worshiper any more than an unbeliever opening Christmas gifts on Christmas makes them a Christian. <laughs> and I thought that's pretty good, you know. I, I think it's the motive of why you're doing what you're doing. That's really what it comes down to, I believe, uh, in your heart and mind before the Lord is why am I doing what I'm doing? And Mike, I really liked your perspective that you shared there from your parents, you know, about how, you know, because we go to church, you know, they miss out on things the other kids miss out on. Yeah, and, and they don't also... understand. And they don't understand no. that when they're, they're little. All they know is all their friends got candy and and we got yeah. nothing because my parents are kind of religious kooks. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying they are. I'm saying that this is one of the ways kids can perceive that. Well, we're Christians and we don't have any fun. You know, exactly. and, and, and I think we got to be careful about that. We're not saying be like the world, but we're no. saying use every. Paul said it like this. He said it best. I become all things to all men that I may win some. 
He didn't become a prostitute to minister to prostitutes or a drug dealer to minister to drug dealers. But it meant that he might go where the drug dealers are. That meant that he might go to Mars Hill, where everybody is talking about religious philosophies and psychedelicizing there at Mars Hill. And he says, you have all these statues to all your gods. You have this one to the unknown God. This is the one I want to tell you about. But he had to show up there where they were at in order to do that. And so I, I believe exactly. that we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And there's a big difference. And I think that's where yeah. I believe your balance will be there. Yeah. And, and you know, Mike, it also, you, like you said, there are, there are plenty of alternatives uh, for people who, okay, if you feel convicted about going trick-or-treating, there's alternatives that churches offer for that. Um, you know, we're going to have on uh, at, at Halloween time – on where our church is at on Main Street here in Festus, we're going to have over a thousand kids in front of our door expecting to get candy. And so what do you think we're going to do? We're going to give them candy and we're going to give them the gospel and we're going to give their parents the gospel. <laughs> we're going to use that opportunity. And I think too, for Christians, you know, if you have kids in your neighborhood that come trick or treating, don't let your house go dark, light it up and use it for an for an opportunity to share the gospel with with kids and with parents. I think that's awesome. Now, Rhonda, I would say this too to to balance that out. Here's what I would also say. I would also say that you never want to do anything to uh to uh harm your own conscience. If you feel like the Lord is speaking to you in your conscience saying don't be involved in this, well then don't. Uh, and for that, you could read the first part of Romans chapter 14, where it talks about this, where you have to be convinced in your own mind that something is good and it's, and, and, and it's allowable to do, or it's not. That's between you and the Lord. I would also say that when it comes to, you know, these kind of celebrations and these kind of, uh, things that we do, you know, with trick or treat and such, um, you know, Paul also said to the, to the, uh, Thessalonians, he said to abstain, to abstain from every appearance of evil. I think that's important too. We don't want to take part in anything that is dark or that gives off that evil vibe or, you know, invites demonic things. I, you know, I, I think we stay away from that kind of stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, ultimately you have to be settled in your heart before the Lord. And, um, you know, I, I thank you for calling today because it, it is good, uh, to hear from other brothers and sisters and their perspectives and all of that. Um, so, but, uh, ultimately it comes down, uh, to your conscience before the Lord, uh, what your conscience will allow you to do because you have to please one person and, and that's Jesus. So Mike, hope that helps. Yeah. Yes. Thank you gentlemen so much. You have great points and great perspective. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray about this and, and, uh, I feel, I feel less confused. Good. Stay on line. We'll send you out the movie Jesus as well as a book called time to grow and Today, we have with us, It's Not Greek to Me by Todd Friel. And uh, Todd's on our station here, and uh, we'll send you out this new, you're the first person to get that. So uh, stay on the line, Rhonda. We'll get you taken care of. Great to share with your friends. And uh, the name of the, It's Not Greek to Me. Little uh, Ten little lessons in understanding the Greek when we uh, read our Bible. I think you'll enjoy that. Stanley, we'll get you taken care of. Let's go to Rocky, Armarillo, Texas. Hi, welcome. Hey, Mike. Um, hey, I've got got a question. I'm want I'm wanting to know if I'm understanding the context of the verse correctly. 
And what it, what it stems from, I'm in a, we're in a, doing a revelation, revealing revelation. It's Amir Safadi's uh, workbook, his yeah. book and workbook. And of course, the elephant in the room wants to get it out of the way right off the bat. And the elephant in the room, when, when you talk prophecy, is, you know, the rapture. And there's so much discussion one way and the other way. But, you know, when you look at verses, and you, you've pointed this out quite a bit, the differences between, um, you know, the like in Matthew 24, the Christ coming, uh, you know, as in the days of Noah. And then, of course, the other time is a different picture. It's like, man, things are going to be dark and gloomy and, mm-hmm. and, and just terrible. So we were pointing out all the differences. And I, I ran across this scripture, and then it kind of jumped out at me. And it was Hebrews, the last verse, Hebrews 9.28 last verse of chapter nine mm-hmm. in Hebrews. And if I read the English standard version, it, it says, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Now the contrast to that verse would be like Matthew 25, when it's, talking about Jesus' return. He's going to return. He's going to render judgment. There's going to be goats on the left, sheep on the right. I mean, it's like down to business. Yeah, it's the second coming. Absolutely. And dealing with sin. So am I understanding Hebrews 9.28? Would you say that Hebrews 9.28, where it says that he's not coming to deal with sin, but he's coming to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him, would you say that's a rapture verse? Sure looks like it. Your thoughts? I totally agree. It's it's a rapture verse. You know, verse 27 is is making a general statement about what happens to, to people when they die. Um, but there is, when you when you read what Jesus had to say in the Gospels, when you read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there is a generation of people, though, who are not going to die because the rapture is going to happen. When when Jesus comes to resurrect the, the dead believers, they're going to be resurrected first, and then we're going to be caught up or raptured along with them. So it's kind of interesting. You know, usually we talk about the rapture, and then we add the resurrection of the dead onto it uh, like it's a, a an extra thing. Uh, but really, if you read the Bible, what what it's saying, really, the rapture is the resurrection of the dead. And then we get tagged on to the end of that, you know, those who are alive. Um, but I truly believe when you're looking at uh, Hebrews 9.28 there, it, it's talking about those who are waiting for him and that he's going to appear a second time for salvation. And what's the salvation being spoken of there? I believe it's the salvation not from sin, and that's already been dealt with, but because it says apart from sin, it's the salvation from the tribulation period to come upon the whole world. So, you know, um, when, when Jesus comes the second time at the end of the tribulation, he's primarily coming there in response to the nation of Israel calling out for their Messiah. That's Israel's salvation there. Uh, but the believer's salvation, um, as far as the rapture and the resurrection is concerned, is the salvation from the hour of tribulation that's coming up on the whole world. So I do believe it Hebrews 9:28, I believe that's definitely a rapture verse. Mike. Amen. Hope that helps. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just want to make sure I was understanding that right. I, I got one other question, if you got a second sure. on it. Um, you know, with everything going on in Israel, you know, and, and there's a lot of uh, mentions of, you know, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, you know, Psalms 122.6. And, and, and I incorporate that into my prayers, and even more so the last few weeks. Um, but when I was praying that the other day, you know, the peace of Jerusalem and all, I, I was thinking, I thought, gosh, they're really not going to know peace until Jesus comes. And I'm thinking, gosh, am I am I just praying basically for Jesus to come and 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 bring the peace? Is, is that do you think? I've always had a hard time kind of understanding the prayer there in one twenty two six. Okay, your thoughts. Yeah, well, I believe what it's speaking of there is the fact that Jerusalem is is God's city where he chose to put his name to glorify himself. Um, if you remember, um, God wouldn't even let David actually build the temple uh, because he was a man of bloodshed. And he chose his son Solomon. And it's interesting because the word Solomon comes from the the uh, the word shalom, which means peace. And uh, when the temple was being built, all the stones had to be uh, carved and had to be chiseled off site. So there wasn't even that sound of the chiseling uh, of the stones on the mountain uh, there where the temple was built and such. It, it's it's an incredible concept. So God's God's house was to be a place of peace and a, and a, and a place of prayer. Um, and so, uh, when it comes to this whole idea, uh, that, that's kind of the concept there is, is, is where God dwells is a, is a place of peace. It's a place of shalom, a place of wholeness. And so, um, it's, it's interesting because as we look at what's going on in the world, we see that it's any, it's been anything but that, uh, but a place of peace. And, uh, I believe what we're doing when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, um, because God, you have to remember, God has a plan for the Jewish people. He has a plan for the land of Israel and for the city of Jerusalem. And so, you know, God wanted there to be peace in Jerusalem as, as, as there can be so that his plan can be played out. Um, but of course we see that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not been that way for quite a while now. Um, and, uh, when we're praying for peace, of Jerusalem, we're literally what we're praying for is we're praying for the one who can bring the peace to come. I believe that's what we're doing. Now there is a promise attached to that. Um, if you read that verse, it says those who pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it says to do that so that, that those who love her may prosper. And, uh, so just like in Genesis, those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who pray for Israel and Jerusalem uh, will prosper. So I hear the music, Mike. I'll give it back to you. Amen. And so, um, again, Rocky, I hope that uh, answered it for you. Uh, stay in line. We'll send you out. It's not Greek to me, the books, the DVDs, and we'll come up back for more after this. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on health care costs is so frustrating. But you're something that could really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into MediShare 65 Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills, and it really is a community too. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for people with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great 
way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. Plus, it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor and get 24-7 telehealth from the comfort of your home. And here's the thing. If you join before October 30th, you'll get your second month free and save even more. I'll give you the number here in a second. But just tell them the promo code SHARE to get your additional savings. The deadline again is October 30th. So now is a great time to call 833-90-SHARE. That's 833-90-SHARE. 833-90-SHARE. Are you ready to study to show yourself approved? A workman not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? In this sad, lonely, and lost generation, people need help. They need Jesus. And who can present the gospel better than you? Calvary Chapel University wants to be a helper of your joy so you can go out and make disciples who make disciples. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today and you'll earn outstanding scholarships. Most of our CCU graduates graduate early or on time, debt-free and sound doctrinally. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today. Skip Heitzig is one of our faculty members, and David Guzik is not only a board member, but he just earned his Master of Divinity at CCU. Go to calvarychapeluniversity.edu and apply today and watch God move powerfully in your life. Welcome you back to part two of Jeremy Menhancer here on this Tuesday afternoon with Scott Parker from Calvary Chapel in Festus, Missouri by St. Louis. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and we're going to go right back to the phones. We have Diane on line in Blue Mountain, Arkansas. Hi, welcome. Hello, Diane. Diane, are you there? I don't know if Diane's there or not. Diane, call us back. We'll go to Kathy in Washington. Hello. Hello. Hi. How may we help? Um, I was, I've wondered this for some time in the King James Version, mm-hmm. Genesis one twelve. Let me get my glasses here. Okay. Okay. It says, and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Mm-hmm. And I don't see it using his in other translations, but I was wondering what the significance in that is, do you know? Well, in the King James, it, yeah, it, it, in the New King James, it uses after its kind, everything produced after its own kind. That's what it's it's talking about. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, that's what it means. Um, the word there um, for its, um, it's just a, it, it's a difference in the way it's translated. Um, and so what it's, as you read the context of it, you can see, um, that the, the his in the King James version, um, is talking about, uh, the seed, uh, what, whatever the seed had in it to bear, that's, that's what it would, uh, that's after it was planted and after it grew and, and did everything, that's what it would produce. It would produce 
the fruit would produce after the kind of seed that it is um and and the trees and the grass and so forth so what what's interesting um is when it comes to translating these languages um sometimes translators have an option of using more than one word and sometimes in hebrew and in greek what you'll find is it's called a family of words one word in a, in an original language like hebrew or greek could be translated into another language like english with more than one word and so translators do their best to try to pick the word and what you want to do is you want to pick the word that best fits the context and uh so that's why you see the difference there so it's it's really not a big deal when you just read the context and realize that the word his there is is talking about the the seed itself mike hope that helps okay yes thank you Kathy, stay on if you like, Senyat. It's not Greek to me. Great, uh, great DVD that we're giving away uh, today. And while we have a few left, uh, also uh, Time to Grow and uh, the movie Jesus, based on the book of Luke. Stay on We'll get those out to you. With that, we'll go to Darren in Austin, Texas. Hi, welcome. Diane, I'm sorry. Hi, Diane. Are you there, Diane? Looking for Diane. We still, Diane, are you there? Okay, we're going to go to Darren, Austin, Texas. Hello. Hi. Um, I I have a question, please. Um, I you know, I I read the book of Malachi, and I believe it one hundred percent. You're supposed to tie ten percent to the Lord. Anything less is stealing from Him, and um, and. But there's this question I have about first fruits. Um, I collect rental income, and um, there's only so much income I can I can only raise the rent so much. But the property taxes are really high, and I I pay an employee to collect the rents. And my question is, am I supposed to be tithing before the property tax and before what I pay? the employee or 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 could i be or is or is it okay to pay the 10 percent of the profit i get after property tax after paying the employee i i believe that is uh speaking of uh, of the profit um just not what comes in because of course there's expense but i believe it's speaking there of the actual profit that we we find and and Jesus fortified that. He says, you tithe off your mint and come in and things, which you should have done, but you've omitted the weightier things of the law. Uh, so I, I believe that, again, it, it's still a biblical principle, but I believe it, it, it is speaking of, of the net profit, not, not, um, uh, not just what all of it that comes in, and then you still have to pay everything else. The one thing we do know, you can't outgive God, so that's a great thing to always know. But, <laughs> but I, I, I do believe it's speaking of actually what was the real profit made. Uh, that that way, you you um, when you subtract all the expenses. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's interesting too. And Darren, um, you know, there's another verse that goes right along with that, which I think is great. Is in Proverbs three nine, uh, where it says to honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. 
And I like that idea of the increase because yeah, it's profit. speaking like, yeah, exactly what uh, Pastor Mike just said. It's speaking of your net, what you have left, what you actually received. And if you think about it in the mind of the ancient Hebrew, um, you know, they had a, they had a crop, they had a field. Um, and it's interesting because what they were to give a first off of is what they were able to reap from the crops what they were able to actually bring in, the increase. And that's interesting because the Lord also told them to leave a corner of their field unharvested for the poor and for those from other countries who came in and and needed something to eat uh, as, a, as a welfare system. So, you know, I don't believe what God was saying there is, hey, I want you to give me the first fruits of 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 all of it because a part of it they weren't even supposed to reap and supposed to take because that was for others. Uh, but what they did reap for themselves was their increase and that's what they would give a first fruit from. So, uh, I think that's great. And as Mike said, you know, whatever you give to the Lord, you know, um, he, he will anything we honor him with. Um, you know, uh, even above and beyond, uh, what we, uh, feel that is obligate, uh, obligatory for us to give from scripture, uh, God will bless even the more. So, uh, we just give and trust him, Mike. Amen. And, uh, again, let me just read that verse. He says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin, and you've omitted, omitted the weightier things of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. These ought ye to have done and not leave the others undone. I've heard a lot of people say, well, tithing is not in the New Testament. Well, it actually is. And Jesus here in Matthew 23, 23 fortifies it. Something interesting to consider. Hope that helps. Yes, greatly. Thank you. <laughs> well, Darren, don't be under burden of it. But but again, it's, right. it's right. your increase that that um, uh, we can give to God. And so uh, cannot give God. So stay in line. We'll send you out. Uh, it's not Greek to me. Uh, we'll send you uh, the movie Jesus based on the book of Luke and Time to Grow. I think you'll enjoy all those. Share them with your friends. And if you need more, let us know. Hope that helps. Thank you. God bless you. Let's go to Donnie. Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for taking the call. How may we help? Um, briefly, um, I'm a former Catholic, uh, at least four generations of being Catholic and I love the Catholic people, but over the last 20 years, since I got saved in April 13th, uh, 2001, I've done a lot of research on the Vatican and the Jesuits. And as a Protestant, I guess I would call myself a Protestant evangelical. Hmm. I go back and I read the 10 commandments and then I also link it with the corruption of the Vatican and the Jesuits and how they want to take authority over the scriptures and the word of God. And over and, people. And over people. That's something else they do. In other words, in other words, it isn't um one mediator between God and man and that's Christ Jesus. No, no, no. You've got to go through a priest. You know, you have to go to confession. You you have to keep the you know the statutes of the church. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. I'm sorry. Um, so I guess my big question is, is I look at the Ten Commandments, and then I see, like, the Vatican and the Jesuits, like, in the Council of Nicaea, like, in the 300s. 
AD, they kind of put like the authority of the Catholic Church over the word, over the scriptures in the Bible. And then they doubled down on it in like the 1920s, where they say the catechism and the Catholic Church has authority over the, the, well, basically it's my, everything's intact with the Catholic Church and, and the word as far as the Ten Commandments, except for the Fourth Commandment, where it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And it seems that the Catholic Church is really doubling down on, we're going to change it first through Constantine, who was mingling paganism and the word just to hold on to his political power. Then 2,000 years later, in the early 1900s, one of the popes says our authority the Jesuits and the papacy has authority over the word and over Sunday worship versus true Seventh-day Sabbath worship. Well, the early church worshiped on Sunday, long before the Council of Nicaea, long before the Catholic Church ever came along. And this is one of the mistakes that uh, people who are what you call Sabbath keepers make. Now, there's nothing wrong with worshiping on Saturday. Please, don't anybody misunderstand me. But it's not wrong to worship on Sunday, as the early church did. And this is something that we have to understand. It isn't the Pope that changed Saturday to Sunday. The early church, out of out of celebrating Jesus' raising from the dead on Sunday, worshiped on that day. In Revelation chapter 1, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In the great Bible, actually going back to the earlier manuscripts, he was in the Spirit on Sunday. He was on that day. I don't have a problem with either day. Honestly, I don't. In fact, Paul says, don't let anybody judge you on new moons, Sabbaths, or any other holiday. We're not saved because we worship on Saturday. We're saved because Jesus died on the cross for us. We are not under the law. Read the book of uh, Galatians. Very clearly tells us we're not under the law. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, I kept the righteous requirements of my Father's law. Now you keep mine. And he didn't tell us to stay under the Old Testament law. He said, love one another. Now understanding they would already be loving God in that he was addressing them. But Jesus, they came to him and said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And he said, the second is likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Wow. So loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit, loving your neighbor as yourself fulfills the righteous requirements of the law. And we can only do those two really honestly in Christ Jesus. But we find that, again, um, we find that they were breaking bread there in Acts chapter 20 on the first day of the week. Um, uh, Pentecost, when they were gathered together in the upper room, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, was on a Sunday. 49 days uh, uh, from... from uh, Again, from the Sabbath to the the next Sabbath, but they on the 50th day would have been on the first day of the week is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on uh, all those that were gathered in the upper room. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but don't blame the Pope. Nobody should do this saying he changed it to Sunday worship. He did not. The early church was worshiping on Sunday. All the way through the New Testament, you find this. Your thoughts? That's exactly right, Mike. And in addition to that, the reason they did that was to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, They didn't have Easter Sunday (laughs) like we have today. And we celebrate it once, you know, uh, the resurrection once a year, you know, so to speak. Uh, They were meeting every the on the what what they would actually consider the eighth day, the first day of the week. The Sabbath was the seventh day. That was a that was a covenant and token between God and the Jew. Um, that's what that was. But that eighth day, which starts a new week, which is the first day of the week when Jesus resurrected, that's what he did it. And then on top of that, you actually have too the next generation of Christians that actually carried on that tradition. So after you have the first century disciples, you have then the second century disciples of the disciples. For instance, like Justin Martyr in 150 AD, here's what he wrote. He wrote, Sunday is the day on which we hold our common assembly, talking about church. He says, because it is the first day of the week and Jesus, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. And then earlier than that, Ignatius, one of the early church fathers, Ignatius in 107 AD said, let every friend of Christ keep the Lord's day as a festival, the resurrection day, the queen in chief of all the days of the week. So as Mike said, not only do you see it in the scripture, in Paul's writings, where he makes it clear in the book of Acts and in Paul's right where they're meeting on the first day of the week. But then when you go to extra biblical writings, uh, even into the second century, you see those Christians also wrote that the first day of the week, Sunday, was the Lord's Day, and it was in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus is when they gathered to assemble to worship. Mike? Yeah, Acts 20, verse 7, it says, Now on the mm-hmm. first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread— now, they're not talking about going down to your local Chili's and, and, and having <laughs> lunch— The breaking bread, the breaking of bread was communion. And they came together on the first day of the week. That is the day they worshiped on. So the Pope didn't change it. That's the way it's been. Hope that helps. Okay, thank you. God bless you. And again, uh, and, and this is something we all need to always remember, Donnie, and I think it's so important. We're not saved because we don't eat pork. We're not saved because we worship on Saturday We're not saved because, um, uh, you know, all these different um, laws. We're saved because Jesus died on the cross. And here's what's so important. Paul says, we are clothed in his righteousness. We have no righteousness in ourselves. No good thing dwells in the flesh. There is nothing I can do to be spiritual. Nothing. The only thing I can do is accept what Jesus Christ did for me. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cried out to his father, sweat great drops of blood, and said, Father, if there's any other way man can be saved, let this cup pass from me. Speaking of the death on the cross. And Jesus died on the cross. So being a religious person, being a law keeper, being a, a very much a civically minded individual, being a very, very religious person will never save us. It's only because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. 
in that righteousness. And that's what makes the difference. Now, again, very important for everybody. The people who insist on keeping the Sabbath and that there's no other day. In fact, in Ellen, uh, um, uh, um, uh, Ellen G. White, is it Ellen G. White, the Seventh-day Adventist, mm-hmm. said, said that worshiping on Sunday is the mark of the beast. That, I think she better read Revelation 22 to find out what happens to people who tamper with God's word. It does not say that. It said it's a mark on your hand or on your forehead is the mark. Well, that's what you say, uh, and that's what you do. No, or what you think and what you do. No, that would be no different than today, 50 years ago, 500 years ago, 1,500 years ago. Problem with man has always been with what he thinks and what he does. The mark of the beast, if you look at the Greek, it's a mark upon you. It's an identifier that you've sold out to the one world order. So here's why, why I think that's so important. Because, again, when we understand that uh, worshiping uh, God, um, uh, these people that go to their Saturday meetings and, and, and they get in a building on a Saturday, that's not keeping the Sabbath. Read Levitical law. Just getting in a box on a Saturday is not keeping the Sabbath. Well, we keep it according to grace, I've heard them say. No, you keep it according to your own interpretation. That's not the Bible. You see, if they get in a wreck on their way to Sab- Saturday worship on Saturday morning, and, 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 and they get in a wreck, they don't lay there in the intersection bleeding out till sundown Saturday night and then call the ambulance. No, they call the ambulance right then and there. By doing so, you make somebody else work on the Sabbath, which is highly prohibited in the scripture. And you kindle a fire on the Sabbath. You turn the lights on in your building, or you make the man down at the power company, make sure there's electricity in your wires. You have to make sure that there are police to make sure you get to your destination safely. They don't keep the Sabbath according to the Bible. And so here's the point. We go to him because Jesus is good, not because we are. No good thing dwells in the flesh. There is none righteous, no, not one. And if it is something, listen, everyone, if it is something that we generate, well, I don't eat pork, or I worship on Saturday, or I help blind dogs across the street, or I wax my cat regularly. Uh, All I can tell you is this. Look what I did. Look at I look how good I am, man. I'm cruising, man. You know, you don't, you don't, uh, help blind dogs across the street. But boy, I do. Look, I'm better than you are. That's the danger. Because again, we don't go to heaven because of what we have done. We go to heaven to what he has done. And that's so important. Let no man judge you. New moon, Sabbath, high holy days. Because as Galatians says, it was a shadow of the things to come. It was the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ. It's because we understood God's high righteous requirements that we could never live up to. Jesus did that, and I'm clothed in his righteousness. Oh, friends, remember, the Sabbath was not made for God. The Sabbath was made for you to take a day off. And thank God for the paramedics and the police and the fire department and all those that scrape us up and put us back together on Saturday and Sunday, their day of rest might be a Monday or Tuesday. I do agree, though, with this, Donnie. 
Everybody should take a day off a week and enjoy what God's given them. Well, you know, you got to keep your old nose at the grindstone. No, let God make up the difference for that one day for you. I know other people, (laughs) six days you work, seven you rest. I know a lot of people are lazy bums. They won't work any day of the week. So again, there's a balance that we have to have. But again, we go to heaven because Jesus is good. Donnie, stay in line and I'll send you out. It's not Greek to me right here, as well as Time to Grow and uh, the movie Jesus based uh, entirely on the book of Luke. I think you'll enjoy that. Stay in line. Donnie, we'll get you taken care of. I hope that helps. Thank you. Mahalo and aloha. Uh, mahalo. What island are you calling from? Well, temporarily, I'm in Arizona, which is uh, uh, t- Maui for 28 years, but recently uh, Arizona. Oh, wow. Uh, were you from Lahaina up in that way? or, or um... No, I wasn't on the west side. Uh, we were in on the south side in Kihei. Oh, okay, okay. I'm very familiar with Hawaii, and, and uh, yeah. my heart goes out to everybody uh, in the Hawaiian Islands and uh, love everybody there. And, uh, um, you know, I, I got to tell you this real quick, everybody. If you ever have a chance to read about, and I'm probably saying the name wrong, so forgive me, but Queen Lukalani, the last queen of Hawaii, before there was a lot of very evil things that happened to Hawaii and uh, the government there. But Queen Lukalani, uh, if you read about this woman's life, how her love for God was so amazing. This this lady was a true, true um, a blessed, blessed woman of God. And she's the one that wrote, she had such a soft heart towards God that it, it trans, it transcended into the music she wrote. And if you've ever heard the song, Aloha, Aloha, she wrote that song. And uh, again, very, very great, great queen, great woman of God. And, uh, Donnie, God bless you, and uh, stay in line. We'll get those things out to you, and if you need more, just let us know. We'll get those to you. All right, and, thank you. Uh, and I think, yeah, we're about out of time. We have, uh, Diane, we're almost out of time. How can we help? Hello. Hi. Well, I just wanted to let you know that there is something terrible going on in the air besides all this other stuff. Um, I had a friend that's suffers from severe depression. She got really upset with me because I took her to the doctor and he put her in 72 down to a 72 hour lockdown because she was going to commit suicide. And she was furious at me because she heard a preacher on the radio preaching about how if you commit suicide, you're still going to get to heaven. You just aren't going to get your gifts. Nope. That is not what the Bible Mm -hmm. teaches. And I think that's a real mistake for anybody to believe that. I believe that if you commit suicide, you are on very, very thin ice. I'm not saying that people that don't have mental problems, that God would not take that into account. But the Bible says, whatever is not faith is sin. And killing yourself is a denial of faith, which means you'd die in sin. That's a tough one. Um, And uh, again... We'll maybe talk about this more. Siobhan, Fred, Donnie, everybody, please call us back. We'll put you on first thing. Thanks so much, Sot, for being on. God bless you all. Good night. About this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226. 
or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes Store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 